This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday, November 4th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public radio station, KUAF 91.3. You can take us anywhere and listen anytime with the KUAF app. On our show today, musical contributions from Venezuela. Leah Uribe takes us on a musical trip in this week's Sound Perimeter. And Timothy Dennis will invite us into his studio to give us a map of the live music spots for the next seven days where we live. As children under 12 are now eligible to get vaccinated against COVID-19, state health officials are trying to distribute doses to vaccine providers as quickly as possible. Governor Asa Hutchinson announced Pfizer shots would be available at the Arkansas Department of Health's local health units this week. But medical centers such as Arkansas Children's Hospital have yet to receive vaccine doses. Dr. Jessica Snowden, chief of the Division of Pediatric Infectious Disease at Children's, says parents should be patient. I think that rollout is by its very nature, going to take a little bit of extra time, but we've got pieces in place and ready to go as soon as we can. I think us and lots of other health clinics around the state have got pieces and people ready to go as soon as we get vaccine in hand. Snowden says vaccines could become available for children at the hospital sometime this week. She recommends parents check the Department of Health's website to see when their local health unit is offering vaccine appointments. There are increases, most of them slide across the board, regarding COVID-19 numbers in Arkansas. The Arkansas Department of Health counts 546 new cases in the most recent 24 hours of testing, 22 newly confirmed deaths, and increases of six each for active cases and hospitalizations in yesterday's report. The University of the Ozarks will present an evening of storytelling with the editor of Dramatist Magazine tonight. Joey Stocks is an Arkansas native and edits the bi-monthly journal, the Dramatist Guild of America. His talk begins this evening at 7 on the University of Ozarks campus. Mass and social distancing will be required. Thursday, this is Ozarks at Large. Rhett Smith, a University of Arkansas Little Rock economics professor, is conducting research on the impact of medical marijuana legalization on various sectors of American society. Most recently, he found that the presence of medical cannabis dispensaries can reduce local opioid overdose mortality. Smith is also crunching data on how medical cannabis laws affect pharmaceutical marketing to physicians and what role marijuana decriminalization has had so far on fatal traffic accidents. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports. Broad legalization of medical marijuana in the United States is allowing scholars like Rhett Smith, assistant professor of economics at the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, to measure its effects on society with the aim to better inform federal and state policies. In 2019, he published results of a national investigation on the impact of legally dispensed medical cannabis on illicit heroin and opioid drug use. The 2019 paper is actually an extension of earlier research that started probably in 2015 when I started collecting dispensary data. Um, there, there's not a national registry of where these medical cannabis dispensaries locate, and a lot of the previous research just looks at state-by-state state level law changes. And so where my research differs is that I argue that it's access to the drug that matters. Um, similar to what we saw in Arkansas, where the law passed in 2016, but we didn't actually see physical dispensaries until 2019. 
Comparing data, Smith found evidence that the presence of medical marijuana dispensaries reduce opioid overdose rates in those locales. Yes. So we find that there's this, in these areas where these dispensaries open, in those immediate proximities, those counties, um, once those dispensaries opened, we see relative declines in opioid use, heroin use, um, less so with the synthetic opioids such as fentanyl, though. Fentanyl is a powerful prescription synthetic opioid analgesic similar to morphine, but up to 100 times more potent, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, due to intense restrictions on traditional prescription opioids like OxyContin. Fentanyl is increasingly being mixed into illegal black market drugs, causing a new surge in overdose death rates. In Arkansas, patients with one of 18 qualifying conditions from epilepsy, cancer, MS, to arthritis, consult with a medical marijuana physician to obtain paperwork for a medical marijuana registry card available through the Arkansas Department of Health. Medical cannabis is widely being used by patients given its analgesic effects and its potential to reduce opioid addiction, but Smith says it's not a panacea. So I think this is actually a very complicated question. I think it, the relationship between cannabis legalization and opioid outcomes is going to differ by opioid. Um, so the initial research that we started with was first looking at the prescription drugs to look at the, the people that maybe got stuck on Oxycontin, essentially, or got started on Oxycontin. And so if we can stop them from using that and they substitute away from that to, to marijuana, then there may be that, that relationship between that and prescription opioids. As we continue to add additional years, what literature is finding is that there's that relationship sort of breaks down as we're seeing more overdose deaths that involve things like heroin or more overdose deaths that involve things like fentanyl. Complicating research further is that medical and recreational marijuana increasingly legalized in many states remains a Schedule I controlled substance. The Federal Drug Enforcement Administration cites marijuana's high potential for abuse, no currently accepted medical use and treatment in the U.S., and a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision. Yet millions of Americans are purchasing medical marijuana, including 80,000 registered patients in Arkansas. But Arkansas remains the most restrictive state when it comes to regulating medical marijuana. Arkansas isn't the most restrictive, but it's definitely one of the more restrictive medicalized states. Um, we saw significant delays between when the law was first voted on and passed and then when actually the market was able to actually form. Compared to states like Oklahoma, where over 8,000 medical marijuana cultivation licenses have been issued with 2,300 dispensaries operating, Arkansas only allows 37 dispensaries to be licensed and eight cultivation facilities to operate. Still, since the first dispensary opened in Arkansas in May 2019, patients have spent $428 million to obtain medical marijuana, generating nearly $50 million in tax revenue. Despite being lucrative and effective, medical marijuana is barred from pharmaceutical marketing, something Rhett Smith is also examining. So we're actually looking at that uh, the relationship there from the pharmaceutical firm perspective that if individuals are substituting away from pharmaceutical drugs to cannabis, then cannabis is essentially as a competitor. And so whether we want to, we're exploring whether the behavior of these pharmaceutical firms and the way they market to doctors is changing as medical cannabis gets legalized. Are they ramping up advertising to doctors to say, hey, don't let your patients switch away from our drugs um, in an effort to preserve market share?
Results of that research published this summer, available online, is titled The Effect of Medical Cannabis Laws on Pharmaceutical Marketing to Physicians. So we looked at opioids individually as well as a more broad class of substitute drugs, and we don't actually see a very large effect of changes in marketing to doctors. And the reason why we, we don't see an effect is that a lot of the changes or substitutions in the cannabis market tends to be more patient-driven. Smith has also examined the impact of medical marijuana decriminalization on traffic crashes, looking at National Highway Traffic Safety Administration data spanning 2010 to 2016. His findings published in the American Journal of Public Health in 2020. So this paper, so the literature on this relationship between medical marijuana legalization and traffic safety actually finds that traffic safety improves following medical cannabis legalization. And so we wanted to understand why. And so we explored this relationship as well as looking at decriminalization laws. And what we find is that, yes, traffic safety improves following medical cannabis legalization, but actually worsens when you just simply decriminalize or depenalize marijuana use. And so what this, this sort of gets at is the mechanism for why medical cannabis may be improving traffic safety. And the reason being that people consume their drugs at home. And so those cannabis consumers aren't traveling. And so if they're not traveling, it becomes very difficult to get in a traffic accident. And so that's the reason why we're seeing these traffic improvements is that travel incentives have changed. Green Cross physicians, those who specialize in improving patients to obtain medical marijuana, are required to advise them to not operate motor vehicles when using the drug, which could account for less car wrecks. I believe that does have something to do with that. Yes, any, any sort of nudges to say, hey, you shouldn't be operating this vehicle under the influence. And I think that, that yes, that does help. Um, but the laws also state that there's, there's not going to be these cannabis equivalent bars, that you have to consume these things in a private residence. Um, and so you can consume the drug, but just do it at home. And so that changes the travel incentives for these consumers. Smith is among a pioneering group of scholars who must negotiate numerous obstacles, given it's a federally outlawed drug, yet approved by a large majority of states. So my research isn't actually looking at the individual drugs themselves. Um, I essentially use these legalization or these decriminalization changes as these natural experiments. And so we can see how the, the presence of those drugs or the presence of those dispensaries are affecting that community in terms of opioid abuse, in terms of marketing to physicians or traffic safety or crime outcomes, things of that nature. Um, so it hasn't hindered me too much from the, the research perspective. Now, from a medical side, Yes, you're exactly right. The, um, the scheduling of this is going to limit how much we know about the actual medical efficacy of this drug. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which has federal authority to approve marijuana for medicinal use, is not expected to do so anytime soon, with the majority of policymakers holding on to archaic claims that cannabis is a gateway to broader drug abuse. As of now, we have 36 states and the District of Columbia have legalized medical marijuana. So a majority of states, a majority of the U.S. population now have access to medical marijuana. So I think it's, it's going to be only a matter of time before um, federal laws start to follow suit. Researchers like Rhett Smith are working hard to shed light on medical marijuana economics, empirical health benefits, as well as adverse effects in the U.S. in advance of national legalization essentially a lot of our policies have been driven by these anecdotes and worst case scenarios. And so I'm trying to understand how likely are these, these un, or these worst case scenarios. Um, and so hopefully what my, my research will do will shed light on what these more aggregate effects would be if 
these types of policies get implemented at the federal level. I think the biggest impact is going to be from the medical side, where instead of being able to, or being extremely restricted on what type of funding can be done for medical aspects and medical, medical understanding, now we can start to actually look at, okay, what ailments is this drug really effective at treating? For now, medical marijuana patients are in the dark about which plant hybrid and what form to consume for their condition unless they do their own research. In Arkansas, dispensary sales clerks are barred from making medical recommendations, and most Arkansas physicians, unless self-taught, lack education about medical marijuana benefits because it remains federally outlawed. Physicians are going to make those decisions based on the information that they have and their knowledge. And so this is where that additional sort of rescheduling where we can learn more about the efficacy of this drug and what ailments they're good at treating, how much they should be using, what types they should be using would really come in handy. Smith says expansion of legal cannabis markets could crowd out illicit markets, leading to widespread decriminalization as long as state-level regulations are in place to prevent diversion, distribution to minors, drug driving, and violence. This year alone, 10 new U.S. states entered the legal cannabis market, according to New Frontier, which researches and publishes cannabis market trends. The sale of legal cannabis is projected to generate $43 billion by 2025, with an estimated 5.4 million Americans registered as patients. And in states where cannabis remains outlawed for both medical and recreational use, the black market yield is currently estimated to be $65 billion. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The 23rd annual Arkansas poll finds fewer Arkansans say they feel they are better off financially than last year compared to the same question asked in 2020. This year, 22% of Arkansans answered they feel better about their financial situation than they did at this time last year. That's down 12 points from the 2020 poll. In this year's responses, 29% of state residents say they feel in worse financial shape than last year. That's up nine points from the same question's response in the 2020 poll. The poll, administered under the direction of Jeanine Perry, professor of political science at the University of Arkansas, was released this morning. We're going to dig further into it over the next few days on Ozarks at Large. The Northwest Arkansas Council reports both Washington and Benton counties are over 50 percent of the population, 12 and older, fully immunized against COVID-19. Washington County is at 55 0.4% immunized. Benton County, 55% fully vaccinated. That same report shows there are 38 virus patients in the two counties' hospitals and their average age, 52. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pearl's Books, an independent bookstore located on Center Street in downtown Fayetteville. Pearls offers a variety of genres and categories, including children's, young adult, cookbooks, and new releases. Snacks, coffee, wine, and beer are also available. More information on Instagram, at Pearls Books, and Facebook. Just ahead on Ozarks at Large, this week's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report with Paul Gatling. This week, it includes a conversation between Roby Brock from Talk Business and Politics and the new state head of the Republican Party. That conversation just ahead. And if you have any questions about how journalism or journalists work, we've got answers. Just go to the KUAF app, look for the button that allows you to send us a question, ask the question, listen to it, and send it to us. The KUAF app is free for iPhone and iPad. You can download it today. It also allows you to stream all of our signals and much more. 
I'm Paul Gatling, and this is today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Springdale-based Chandler Equipment was one of six Arkansas companies recognized recently with a 2021 Governor's Award for Excellence in Global Trade. The awards are presented annually by the Arkansas District Export Council, recognizing the exporting success of small, medium, and large Arkansas companies. Chandler Equipment manufactures truck accessories for various customers in the agriculture, food, oil and gas, and transportation industries. The company has hired 15 new manufacturing workers since the start of 2020 and now has 90 employees. President and CEO Chris Chandler says expansion is on the horizon. He says the company is planning to add 30,000 square feet to its 63,000 square foot facility on West Sunset Avenue in Springdale. Workers should finish that project next summer. That's one of the stories you will find online at nwabusinessjournal.com. There's more news after the break on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. Late last year, John L. Fulmer of Fort Smith was elected to succeed Doyle Webb as chair of the Republican Party of Arkansas. Webb, who's now a candidate for lieutenant governor, served in that position for 12 years and was the longest-serving state Republican chairman in the nation. Fulmer has served as the state party's national committee woman since 2012. In a recent interview with Roby Brock, Fulmer discussed her background with the state Republican Party and also answered questions about the state's congressional redistricting efforts this year. I think for some people that have never been introduced for, uh, to you, you've obviously uh, got a lot of connections in Republican circles or maybe a general election audience that has never uh, seen you interviewed before, at least not by me. Uh, tell me a little bit of your track record with the Republican Party and tell me why you are a Republican. Well, um, I, I would actually love to tell you why I'm a Republican. I uh, was raised actually by two very hardworking Democrat parents, but they were very conservative. And so by the time I was old enough to vote, uh, there was just really no question which party represented me and my values. And that was the Republican Party. I, I believe very strongly in individual rights and opportunities and individual responsibility. I believe very strongly in protecting life from uh, before birth and after birth. I believe very strongly that government should be limited in its role in our lives, that um, we need a strong national defense, that we need to be fiscally responsible. And, and just to name a few, yeah. uh, that obviously um, meant that I was a Republican. 
congressional redistricting has been a very um, hot topic in the last month or so. It's cooled a little bit, uh, but there is likely going to be a legal challenge to the map that was created by the Republican-controlled legislature for the first time since Reconstruction. Um, The biggest concern is dividing up some communities in Pulaski County. Um, Tell me how you would defend that, and will the Republican Party of Arkansas be involved in that litigation somehow? Well, of course, the, the the legislature is the one that is the, the, the party that draws those lines. So I don't see any reason that the party itself would be involved in any litigation. But as far as the carving out of some areas in, in Pulaski County, I think our Republicans in the legislature gave some very careful consideration to that. And we prefer, of course, to keep communities together where we can. Um, if you'll remember, um, 10 years ago, the Democrats um, divided five counties. Um, this map divides two, which maybe is making some progress. Um, but those two two areas that are carved out, they were very careful to uh, pay attention to natural boundaries like the interstate and the river. They were also very careful to ensure that areas that have um, common interests economically and industry areas of industry are kept together. And I think that's very important uh, because we do have two congressmen in those districts who sit on the transportation committee. So um, for areas of industry and that sector being so um dependent on our transportation, whether it's the port, the airport, the interstates. I think it's very important that they have both of those voices at the national level, and I think it gives them a competitive edge as well. Governor Asa Hutchinson has expressed some reservations with uh, that congressional map, so that does not concern you that the titular head of the Republican Party has a, a problem with it? I have a great respect for Asa. I think he has a, uh, a a unique perspective on um, redistricting. He's been on the other side of, of these challenges before. So um, I certainly have respect for his opinion. We do think though that the ultimately that those maps will be found lawful. I don't think they're gonna be overturned in the courts. There may be a special session on tax reform in the near future every day. It seems like it's a moving target. We'll see. Uh, I presume, number one, you would be supportive of some of the plans that have been floated out there. Um, I guess my please answer that. But my greater question, too, is should there be other items on that special session call, such as a Texas style uh, anti-abortion law or some of the additional measures like uh, that might be vaccine or mandate related? I think if if they call the special session um, on tax reform, that that should be what they address. And I do think that um, having I've not looked at any of the bills that are potentially going to be introduced, but I do think that our Republicans are very conscious of the hardworking Arkansans and their need for some relief. So I think they'll do what they can to give us some much needed relief. Uh, last question for you. I'm going to ask this question delicately so that you can uh, be careful how you answer this. So we see at the national level and at the state level that we, we see Democrats that are centrist. We see Democrats that are left of center. We see Republicans that are centrist. We see Republicans that are further to the right. Um, you get to lead all of those Republicans as the head of the Republican Party. How do you contend with some of the extremism that you do see in the Republican Party? And it's a fair question to ask on the Democratic side, too, but you get to control the Republican message. How do you deal with folks that 
kind of get that out there on a limb might make you a little uncomfortable with some of the uh, the rhetoric that they espouse. Well, I I am just trying very um, carefully, as you said, and very diligently to unify our party, to bring together um, our people with just the knowledge that we we all have the same end goal in mind, and that is to preserve our great union, to make our straight as, uh, our state as strong as it can be, and to leave it a better place for our children. And so we have to remember that even though we may disagree on how to get there, that in the end our goal is the same. And that is John L. Fulmer, chairwoman of the Republican Party of Arkansas. For that interview and more, you can visit our sister website at talkbusiness.net. In other news this week, it was a milestone day Tuesday for Fort Smith-based shipping and logistics company ArcBest. For the first time in its 98-year history, the company topped $1 billion in quarterly revenue, reporting $1.01 billion in the third quarter. That's up nearly 28% from the same period last year. Walmart announced Tuesday a deal is in place to acquire certain assets from a Canadian voice technology firm. Another investment by the retailer that will further enable shopping by voice and chat. And year-to-date home sales through the first nine months of 2021 in northwest Arkansas's two largest counties are essentially flat compared with the same period last year. There were 9,001 homes sold through September this year in Benton and Washington counties compared with 8,975 homes sold during the same period last year. Remember, you can get the latest business news online at nwabusinessjournal.com, where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large, and for just like the second or third time in 20 months, I'm in the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. That's where Timothy Dennis resides. Timothy, we're face-to-face, socially distanced. Eyeball to eyeball. Eyeball to eyeball to talk about live music. There's quite a bit of stuff coming up this weekend. Uh, Let's start with tonight. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have the band Boy Named Banjo on their stage. Boy Named, I love this. They're a Nashville-based contemporary bluegrass band. Okay. Sometimes late at night, I stay up to watch you dream. Cause I can't believe my eyes when I see you next to me. Cover for that show is $12. That'll get underway at 8.30 tonight. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Okay, jumping ahead to Friday. Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville is going to have Black Mountain Fever and the Jake Keegan Band on their stage. Black Mountain Fever, they're a local string band that mixes old-time and bluegrass music. And then Jake Keegan, he's a Kansas City-based singer-songwriter. Okay. I think I'll put down the news this week I'm gonna read more poetry Stare at a field, imagine a mountain range Focus less on the things
That show has a $15 cover. We'll get underway at 6 o'clock tomorrow night again at Prairie Street Live in Fayetteville. 6 o'clock. That's a very civilized time to begin a show. Well, you know, it's starting to get dark earlier. It's cold outside. You don't want to be outside when it's frigid at 11 p.m. I don't. I certainly don't either. And I'm sure musicians who are playing instruments would prefer not to be. I, I think that's a safe assumption. Okay. Moving on, Josh Abbott Band is going to be at JJ's Live in Fayetteville Friday night. JJ's Live, that's the one out towards the mall area. Correct. Used to be known as JJ's Beer Garden. Right. They're having Josh Abbott Band, kind of a country act, modern contemporary country. She loves the company of her family. She has faith in God's greater plan. She trusts I'm a good man. And that's why I'll always believe She's like Tickets for that show start at $20, gets underway at 7.30 tomorrow night. Again, that's at JJ's Live in North Fayetteville. Moving further north, up in Bentonville, Meteor Guitar Gallery is having what they're calling Blues in Bentonville Friday night, featuring Gary Hutchinson, Buddy Shoot, Brickfields, and Jeff Horton. Oh, man. So like a who's who of local blues bands. I mean... You put the years performing together with Oh, you're more those? than a century. Yeah, oh, yeah. easily. Yeah. Tickets for that show are $15 in advance. They go up to $20 tomorrow. That gets underway at 7 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Meteor in Bentonville. Then moving down to Fort Smith, the Majestic is going to have kind of a southern rock country show featuring Moonshine Mafia and Hillbilly Vegas. Toes in the sand, oh man. Digging beachside, living high tide. Hillbilly Vegas, if you don't know, they're a band of Arkies and Okies playing Southern Rock. They recently had a track actually hit the Billboard Top 20. Oh, wow. Yeah, big, big time. Rachel Ammons is also going to be on that bill. Uh, Tickets are $10. That gets underway at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Again, that's at the Majestic in Fort Smith. Happening midday Saturday, uh, it's the Dia de Muertos celebration in Springdale. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, hosted by the Latin Art Organization of Arkansas. The processional for the Dia de Muertos celebration, it's going to feature music from Mariachi Joya Azteca. It takes place at Shiloh Square. The procession starts at around noon Saturday. And again, that's in downtown Springdale. Last time I checked the forecast for Saturday, it looked pretty nice. Um, yeah. Sunny and... What would pass for warm in November? Right, right. Moving ahead, Meteor Guitar Gallery in Bentonville Saturday night. They're having the next edition of the Soul Night Music Series by Music Moves. Mm-hmm. This month, they're featuring Nikki Parrish, great soulful singer. going to be backed up by Michael Fields Jr. and DJ Afrosia. 
Tickets for that show are $20. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Saturday evening again at the Meteor in Bentonville. Got a whole brewing in Eureka Springs Saturday is going to have the Brothers Hoff on stage. H-O-F-F? H-A-W-F. H-A-W-F. Hoff. Yeah. They, they're local. They play folk and wooden music, you know, acoustic stuff. Sure. If you want to see them twice or you can't see them Saturday night, they will also be at the Gravel Bar in Eureka Springs Sunday evening. A two-day tour of Eureka. Exactly. I love it. Both shows, actually Saturday and Sunday, start at 5 p.m. Okay, moving on to Sunday. Georgia's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to welcome back native son to Fayetteville, Nate Hancock. Mm -hmm. As I said, he's originally from Fayetteville. This is the local stop on his tour for his newest release, the Come Down EP. All I see is struggle when I look around. The poor get hustled cause rich lives matter. The hunger will starve while the fool gets fatter. The earth she's crying but we keep on digging. Uh, tickets for that show are $10. That gets underway at 8 o'clock Sunday night. Again, that is at George's in Fayetteville. Down in Fort Smith, Temple Live is going to have Star Set, All Good Things, and The Word Alive on their stage. Star Set is an Ohio-based rock band. Tickets for that show start at $25. Gets underway at 8 o'clock Sunday night at Temple Live in Fort Smith. And then jumping ahead to next Wednesday, quite a few shows happening next Wednesday. George's Majestic Lounge in Fayetteville is going to have Daniel Yates on stage. He's a local red dirt country artist. He's got a new album that just came out, a new EP. uh, Came out a couple weeks ago, actually. Something to pick me up, don't let me down. Thought of her memory still haunts me. I can't stand seeing her around. Tickets for that show are $8. Gets underway at 8 o'clock Wednesday night. Again, that's at George's in Fayetteville. Smoke and Barrel Tavern in Fable is going to have music again next Wednesday. It's been a while. The pandemic did a number. It's a small room, so they abundance of caution and all that. They are welcoming back their friends Daikaiju. Mm-hmm. We featured them here on this segment before. If you don't remember, they're kind of psychedelic surf metals, how I consider them. Yeah, but fun. Very fun. are requiring proof of vaccination or a negative PCR test as part of your entry for that show. Cover is $10. That gets underway at 9 o'clock Wednesday at Smoking Barrel in Fayetteville. And that should take care of us for the next week. Timothy Dennis keeps us up to date with live music. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Kyle. Arkansas Community Foundation offers tools to make charitable giving easy, flexible, and efficient during this holiday season and all year long. Inspiring solutions to build Arkansas communities. ARCF.org slash smart giving for information.
Ed Clifford, the president and CEO of the Jones Center in Springdale, will be transitioning into a new role on the board, according to a press release from the center. Clifford joined the board in 2011 and was named president in 2012. Stepping into the role of president will be Terry Trotter, who has previously served as the COO of Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville, among other nonprofit work across the nation. Clifford's new work with the Jones Center will focus on implementing the Jones Campus Vision Project at the Springdale campus, a result of a new grant from the Walton Family Foundation. The changing of the guard is scheduled to take place early next year. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We opened Sound Perimeter today with Fuga con Pajarillo, written by Venezuelan composer and pianist Aldemaro Romero. Romero is known for his works that combine Venezuelan folk and popular music with European forms and techniques. Pajarillo is a complex Venezuelan dance in three, like a waltz, and in this case it is presented as a fugue, which is a compositional style in which one line imitates the other, creating complex textures between sections of the orchestra. That was Fuga con Pajarillo, a Venezuelan piece by composer Aldemaro Romero, 
in a full orchestra version performed by Gustavo Dudamel, conducting the Simon Bolivar Young Symphony Orchestra with soloist Alexis Cardenas and his ensemble. This piece in a string orchestral arrangement will be performed this coming Friday by Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, in an exciting opening concert for the season that also marks the return of the musicians to the stage as a complete ensemble since February of 2020. Teresa Carreño was a pianist and composer from Venezuela, born in 1853, who lived between her native country, New York and Paris, and led an active life as a very accomplished touring concert pianist, bringing to the stage music by celebrated romantic classical composers of her time. Those European composers influence her writing style, as we can hear in our upcoming piece, Romance for Violin and Piano. Our recording is from a live concert from 2018, featuring Stephanie Chase in the violin and Isabel Perez Dobarro in the piano.
That was Stephanie Chase, violin, and Isabel Perez Dobarro in the piano. Interpreting an excerpt from Venezuelan composer Teresa Carreño's romance. We close on Ponimero today with also Venezuelan Gabriela Montero, known for her career as a soloist performing classical piano repertoire all over the world, but also by her ability to improvise on demand. This last piece today is part of a video album composed and recorded in real time in one single take from start to finish and without interruption during lockdown in 2021 at a studio in Barcelona. Enjoy Improvisation 6 from Montero's album Take One, Something Jazzy, Something Blue. This is Leah Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Paymeter. The college basketball season hasn't even started yet. First games are Tuesday, but this week we can also think about softball. Yesterday, the University of Arkansas softball schedule for 2022 was announced. Season begins in February in Mexico in the Puerto Vallarta Challenge. The home opener, February 17th, against Wichita State, 
Later that week, the Razorbacks will host five teams for the annual Razorback Invitational. The complete schedule can be found at ArkansasRazorbacks.com. Returning to a more immediate timeline, the American Red Cross is reminding people that as we fall back this weekend into standard time, it's a good opportunity to check smoke alarms in your home and your business. The Red Cross says home fires claim an average of seven lives for every day of the calendar year. In July and August, the Missouri-Arkansas Red Cross responded to more than 550 home fires. It suggested that smoke alarms 10 years or older be replaced. We officially exit daylight saving time at 2 a.m. Sunday morning. And that means one of the most beautiful experiences we can have is close, a 25-hour Sunday. However, be aware that a study from the National Road Safety Foundation indicates auto accidents increase after we turn back our clocks. Dark conditions arrive earlier on the drive home for many, and the National Road Safety Foundation reports commuting in the dark can make drivers drowsier than usual. The NRSF reports drowsy driving is a factor in more than 300,000 car accidents annually, causing more than 5,000 deaths. Need to stay a little bit more alert? Well, the NRSF recommends pulling over and taking a break. They say that's far more effective than rolling down the windows, blasting the air conditioner, or singing off-key out loud. Support for KUAF comes from La Jolla Agency, presenting Beatles vs. Stones, a musical showdown, Wednesday, November 10th, at the majestic Fort Smith. Beatles and Rolling Stones National Touring Tribute Bands will perform sets, and the audience will pick their favorite from their performances. Advanced tickets are available at MajesticFortSmith.com. Walton Arts Center presents the Glenn Miller Orchestra, Thursday, November 11th at 7 p.m. This 18-member orchestra carries on the legacy started in 1938 and remains one of the most popular, sought-after big bands in the world. They'll perform a Veterans Day salute, including songs from Glenn's original Army Air Force Band, waltonartscenter.org, or 443-5600 for tickets. Tomorrow on Ozarks, we explore sound and music with air structures. There's an urgency about playing live that you can't accomplish otherwise. Um, it it matters. It, it, you hold it to a little bit of a higher... Like this version, the versions of the songs we play on Saturday night will be held to a slightly higher standard than if we're just playing them in Kevin's apartment. Emmy nominee Amos Cochran and Kevin Blagg discuss the once-or-you-miss-it performance they'll deliver on Mount Sequoia Saturday night. That's on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. Here's a preview of the music. Speaking of previews, we'll also have one of the exhibition American Waters, The Sea in American Painting at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. And Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics will help us review the week that just happened. Ozarks at Large, tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. on KUAF and also streaming live at KUAF.com.
the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. Saltpeter mines in the Arkansas Ozarks were a vital resource to Confederate forces during the Civil War. Potassium nitrate, or saltpeter, is a naturally occurring mineral found in limestone caves and an essential ingredient in gunpowder. After Arkansas seceded from the Union in May 1861, the state could no longer acquire the mineral from northern sources, and entrepreneurs began mining saltpeter to sell to Confederate forces. The Rebel Niter and Mining Bureau later took control of the mines to protect them and exempted their employees from military service. The mines were frequent targets of Union raids staged to disrupt the production of saltpeter, and Confederate policy was to retreat and return when the Federals left. Transport of the saltpeter was difficult since it would have to be taken by wagon to the White River where it could be loaded on boats. The Niter and Mining Bureau moved saltpeter operations to Texas in late 1863, though Confederate guerrillas continued mining until the war ended. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. The Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design at the University of Arkansas planned to break ground tomorrow morning on the newest edition. The Anthony Timberland Center for Design and Materials Innovation will focus on expanding the use of Arkansas source timber and wood in architectural design, construction techniques, and product design. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and the Razorback Greenway. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, Timothy Dennis, Leo Uribe, Mark Christ, and the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report with Paul Gatling, produced by Stephanie Brock. KUAF's general manager is Lee Wood. Our theme is titled First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. And our biggest supporter, you and listeners just like you, thank you for your continued support. You can always listen to Ozarks at Large by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large or by downloading the Ozarks at Large podcast through your preferred podcast distributor. Thank you so much for being with us. Please take care of yourself and come back tomorrow. We will be with you at noon and 7 on KUAF 91.3 for our brand new Friday show. I'm Kyle Kellums. We'll talk again very soon.